The Elf Service A Story for Christmas Written by Tobias Sturt And read by John Millington Episode 4 The Metropolitan Hotel was one of those hotels that everyone went to, but at which no one seemed to stay. All hotels are an odd mix of the public and the private. They are spaces where people come and go, only ever transient, and at their most anonymous. Strangers in a strange building, in a strange town, just passing through and of no fixed abode. But they are also home, floor after floor of temporary tiny homes, little private spaces, where in the midst of all that coming and going, private dramas can play out and private rests be taken, secret parties held, and secret griefs nursed. The Metropolitan was the epitome of this. The lobby teemed day and night. Indeed, you could spend a whole day in the hotel without ever wondering about all those private little lives stacked above you and around you. One might stop in at the coffee bar by the north doors for a pastry and an espresso to start the day, read the papers in the smoking room, and spend a little time and a lot of money browsing the shops in the arcade that led to the south doors. Lunch in the restaurant, and a thé dansant in the ballroom, cocktails on the roof, and a late night in the cellar. If you were really industrious and planned your day carefully enough, you might even manage some work, maybe write a letter in the library. But then the Metropolitan had its own cinema, even. It was easy to get distracted. It was a place where people dawdled on their way to a rendezvous, and a place where people met on their way to a dawdle. One might pop in to see the barber in the lobby for just a quick shave or spend a whole afternoon in the tea room letting the hours drift past to the chinking of spoons on china and the low murmur of gossip. Or one might, in the time between afternoon tea and the theatre, attend a charity event in the ballroom. Indeed, here comes Mr Marion Crimble, Secretary of the City Board of Charity Supervision, floating across the lobby of the Metropolitan on his way to a charity dinner in support of the Association for the Saving and Supervision of Historical and Outstanding Landmarks, a group that was almost never known by its initials A-S-S-H-O-L, at least not by its own members. Crimble was not there, of course, to do something as frivolous as eat dinner, nor was he there in anything as serious as an official capacity. The board had functionaries for that. Crimble was there for the same reasons as the ladies were attending the Society for the Support of Distressed Gentlewomen, because it was a place he should be seen, and all the people he wanted to see would be there. Walter Burns, for example, the editor of the Argus newspaper, he was there. He didn't want to be there. He wasn't enjoying himself being there, but he was there. Mrs. Burns, the editor of Mr. Burns, had insisted upon a front-page splash, and so here he was, trussed up in a bow-tie his theatre critic had had to tie for him, trying to look charitable and instead looking furtive. The floor in the ballroom had been dotted about in round tables draped with napery and punctuated with floral displays that made talking across the table impossible. Instead, everyone had to move from seat to seat and table to table if they wanted to talk to anyone. What's more, someone with a willful streak had been put in charge of the seating and had chosen to be imaginative with it and create unexpected and stimulating collections of people at each table. People had not expected to be stimulated at such an event and had taken exception to this unlooked-for creativity. So move they did, a constantly cycling maelstrom of people hopping between seats, milling between tables, migrating in great sweeps between the hall and the bar. And in the middle of it all, a still rock in a churning sea 
Walter Burns, fiddling with his napkin. There was barely a person in the room the Argus hadn't written about and who didn't want to talk to the editor about what had been written about them, and Burns didn't want to talk to a single one of them. It was one of the reasons why he hadn't wanted to come. That, and that he had thought it would be boring, and he had been right about both reasons. All he could do was keep his head down and try not to let anyone catch his eye. Mr. Marion Crimble, however, had a way of intruding on one's consciousness that defied denial. He was so thoroughly physically present, so relentlessly evident, that one couldn't avoid him. His mere existence forced you to notice him. Moreover, he had little time for social niceties. He was not going to wait for you to catch his eye, to be asked to join a table, to be invited into a conversation. He was just going to come tricking up through the crowd, pull up a chair and start talking, whether you liked it or not. Walter Burns didn't like it. "'Surprised to see you here, Mr. Burns,' said Crimble. Uh, "'I'm surprised to be here,' said Burns, ruefully, but Crimble was not listening. "'Interested in charity? You should be. Interested in business?' Crimble liked to think that he spoke in a businesslike manner. Burns thought it sounded like the gnomic telegrams his foreign correspondents liked to send. Gunmen in the streets. President shot. Send whiskey. That kind of thing. This Santa letter business, said Crimble. This Irving Jefferson chap. That's an interesting business. Ah, elf service. You hear what he call it? Said Burns. The elf service. <laughs> Kid knows how to get headlines. I'll say that for him. Entirely my point, said Crimble. Oh, said Burns. You have a point, do you? Publicity man, this Jefferson, said Crimble. Is he now? said Burns, mildly interested. I can tell, said Crimble. I'm sure of it. But you don't know, said Burns. Publicity man, said Crimble again. Not a charity man. No history of it. Never heard of him. Highly suspicious. Is he trustworthy? I suspect not. Will the charity be competently run? I doubt it. Will the Argus investigate? I hope so. Walter Burns, on the other hand, thought not. Burns had a very firm idea of who got to decide whether the Argus investigated anything or not. He did. He was the editor, not Crimble. Well, why don't you write a letter to Santa and see if the Elf Service can arrange it for you, said Burns. It's a Christmas story, Crimble. Here for a month, and then it's gone. Relax, enjoy the season, enjoy this event, if you can. Before Crimble could press his suit further, a tall man in a slightly too large dinner jacket and a slightly too tailored goatee beard stepped up to the lectern on the stage at the head of the ballroom. Oh, good, said Burns, relieved at the interruption. They're starting. Good evening said the man. I am Professor Jasper Ewing, and I would like to open tonight with a few words about the work the association is doing on the old slaughterhouse. Oh, God, said Burns in despair. They are starting. But Crimble had gone. Where Crimble had gone was the bar. Not to drink, of course. Marion Crimble did drink, but only when socially required and never more than two glasses. He'd learned from bitter experience that after two glasses of anything, he was liable to try and be friendly to people, and he wasn't very good at it, not having had the opportunity to practice much. 
He was not alone at the bar. The few unsupervised husbands had made their escape and were hoping that no one would come looking for them until at least the first speech was over. It was already sounding like it was working up to be a long speech. The mood of the husbands relaxed a little. One of them, at the far end, as deep into the shadows as he could get, and he was a man adept at lurking in shadows, was Captain of Police Bernard Oles. It was a testament to his sense of duty that when Crimble inserted himself next to him, Oles squared his shoulders and accepted his fate like a professional. "'Good evening, Councillor Crimble,' he said. "'You not enjoying the speech?' "'Irving Jefferson,' said Crimble, dispensing as ever with the niceties. "'Know him?' "'Oh, this Shanna Quas fellow,' said Oles. "'No. Oh, professionally, no. I read about him in the paper, though. Elf service, did he call it? Mm, he'll go far.' "'Precisely,' said Crimble. "'Precisely. Publicity man, you see.' Not a professional charity organizer. Amateur, certainly. Slipshod, most probably. Corrupt, that would be a matter for the law. I'm off duty, Councillor, said Oles stoically. Misuse of funds, said Crimble. Fraud, misrepresentation, theft. It's nice to have time off duty, said Oles, swelling his drink in his glass. Uh, break from all the paperwork, you know, sorting the evidence, taking witness statements, establishing what crimes have been committed. All the boring stuff that goes into building a case, you know. In my professional opinion, said Crimble, Irvin Jefferson could stand some investigating. What I ought to be investigating, said Captain Oles, standing up from the bar, is whether my wife wants a drink. I am simply offering some advice, said Crimble, from one professional to another. My profession, said Oles, depends on yours. A public-minded citizen tells us of a crime, and that's when we investigate. Uh, you ask McNulty here. The barman, who had come to take Oles's empty glass, jumped back guiltily. Oh, you think I didn't recognize you, McNulty? said Oles, with that... What is that on your face? Is that supposed to be a beard? Is that what you call an honest occupation? Growing that? You take McNulty here, Crimble. Here's a fellow who knows about fraud and theft. He used to go round old ladies posing as a tramp, begging meals. But really, casing the joint. No, he'd eat the food too. Just that he'd be back later to rob what he hadn't scarfed. I paid my dues said McNulty, warily. Oh, you did, you did, said Oles. There's my point, Crimble. You take this wily, resourceful fellow. You think a fellow like that doesn't have something going on? Doesn't know what's around this town? Of course he does. But until I have proof, until I have a crime, I can't touch him, Crimble. Not that I would want to. Good night, gentlemen. And Oles trudged back to face the speech. McNulty watched him go with a look of mixed revulsion and fear, like a weasel watching a wolf pass by. But Crimble was watching McNulty. Mr. McNulty, said Crimble, a word with you. McNulty turned his hunted look on Crimble. Crimble attempted to soften his tone. As one professional to uh, another professional, said Crimble. Mr. McNulty, say you were to observe a man. 
scrutinize him. Could you spot a, what would you call it, a scam, a racket, a fraud? Uh, there's no scam, I don't know, said McNulty with a touch of pride, and then remembering himself, not that I do that any more. Of course, said Crimble, and I'm sure you are desirous of earning an honest income. McNulty seemed desirous. There is a man, Mr. McNulty, said Crimble. I am sure he is running a scam, but I need evidence. I need someone to scrutinize. I need someone to observe for a consideration, a monetary consideration. Do you understand? McNulty understood. You have been listening to The Elf Service, a story for Christmas in 24 daily episodes, read by John Millington and written and produced by Tobias Sturt. The music is Santa Claus is Coming to Town by Riley Farley and their orchestra from the Internet Archive at archive.org. Our illustrations are by Jamie Lemon, and you can see more of his work at jamielemon.com. This podcast is distributed by Acast, and you can find all of our stories there or on our website christmasstories.co.uk where you can also sign up for our newsletter but wherever you found us if you like what we do please rate and review it and share with someone if you think they'd like it too more importantly though make sure you're here for the next episode of the elf service